As we continue then in our series through Haggai, we come to the third of the four prophecies that were given in this short uh, book of two chapters over a period of three months. This prophecy this time is directed rather than generally to um, the governor, the, the high priest and the people. This time it is directed to the priests, as we see in verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priests concerning the law. So we've changed the focus from a wider everybody down to a specific group of people, namely in this instance, the priests. To help us as we consider these three this, these few verses, we're going to look at it in three headings. Firstly, two prophets. Secondly, two questions. And then thirdly, two considerations. Two prophets, two questions, two considerations. Sometimes we can be guilty of passing over uh, bits of scripture because it doesn't seem important. It's good sometimes to take time and to move slowly through and pay attention. I've, I've talked oftentimes of contrasts or repetition. We've got a, a theme to note in Haggai, and that is dates. Chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month and in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord. So the second year, the sixth month and the first day of the month. Chapter 2 opens up with, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month. So, chapter 1 starts in the sixth month of uh, the second year. Chapter 2 starts in the seventh month of the second year. And then verse 10, where we take up our text today, starts in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. So we've gone sixth month, seventh month, ninth month. And we've moved um, through three months. So it's helpful to pay attention to understand the time frame in which these events happened. But as I mentioned, there are two prophets. So if you turn over your Bibles, perhaps just one page to Zechariah, and we will read the first six verses of Zechariah and pay particular attention to verses one and three. Verse one gives us a date and verse three gives us the summary of the message. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. So it's the eighth month of the second year. Came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers, therefore say thou unto them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways, and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. So the Lord promised to punish them and he did. 
He dealt with them as he said. The key verse there is verse 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. That's the same message. We've got two different prophets, but the same message was given through Haggai and then to Zechariah. Turn to me. You have backslidden, you've fallen away. Turn to me and I will turn to you. So why is it important to note the dates and to note the fact that we have the two prophets? Firstly, for our benefit, it tells us not to study a book in isolation. Haggai doesn't stand in isolation. Haggai stands alongside Zechariah. So to understand better the whole context, we need to understand Haggai and Zechariah, how they fit together. And also Ezra, how Ezra fits in. That's just one example. In Sunday school, we have a jigsaw that we do um, from time to time with a piece for each book of the Bible. And no piece is complete on its own. It is part of a bigger piece, a bigger frame. So once all 66 pieces are put together, you have one complete item. That's how the scripture should be reviewed. Not one book on its own, but the whole put together. It's good for us to understand that, to understand how the Old and the New Testament fit together. It's good for us to understand how the law fits in with the gospel. It is good for us to understand what the point is of all of the history. But most importantly, this was important for the people at the time. To have one prophet visit was a great encouragement because whenever a prophet spoke, it was very important. It was either for their correction or for their um, blessing. But whenever a prophet spoke, he was to be heard and to be uh, responded to. Now, in this instance, we have two prophets speaking at the same time. So that just gives us an understanding of how important this message was. That these people who'd come out of exile, out of Babylon captivity, turn back to God. And he would turn back to you. This is of vital importance and we cannot emphasise it enough. The fact that there were two prophets. Does that not help us then in our understanding of the importance of the context in which we study and the importance of the message? Turn back to God. So our first point for today, we have two prophets sharing the word of God. Our second point today is two questions. We'll read verses 12, 13 and 14 again. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, no. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean. Why? 
do we ask questions? Well, the simple response to that is so that we can get answers. Either for us, or we'll sometimes ask a question to get the person who we've asked it of to answer for themselves. Just some very helpful examples. The wise men asked the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They wanted to find Jesus, so they asked the question for their own benefit. Nicodemus asked Jesus a question about the things of eternal life. How can these things be? And then Jesus responded and gave him an answer, which includes the most famous verse in the Bible, doesn't it? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The woman at the well of Samaria asked questions of Jesus. She asked for her own benefit. Nicodemus asked for his benefit. The wise men asked for their benefit. But sometimes we'll find that people ask questions or questions are asked for the benefit of those of whom it has been asked. Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? So Peter answered, gave his answer, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer was, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Who did Jesus ask that question for his own benefit? No, he knew he was the Christ, the son of the living God. He needed Peter to verbalize it and to say it out loud so that Peter could appreciate it. There's, there's loads of examples. Just finish with one more. What doest thou hear, Elijah? That wasn't for God to answer. He knew the answer. He wanted Elijah to answer. Why are you here? Why are you hiding? So the answer uh, for, of the question can be for either the person who has asked it or for the person of whom it has been asked. And that is the case here with uh, the questions, the two questions that were put to the priests. Haggai knew the answer. Haggai knew that the priests knew the answer. But he asked them the questions so that they would answer to clarify a point in their own mind. He could then develop and explain why he had asked that, those questions. And there are two questions. And it is helpful to sort of look at these and think about them. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine, shall that thing be holy? So here's the context. The priests would be carrying um, the, the holy flesh that had been consecrated in the, in the skirt of their garment or in an apron or something like this out in front of them, perhaps with not touching it, but holding it in this garment. And if they touched something else, with this food or this meat that had been consecrated that was holy, would the holiness transfer from the meat to whatever was touched? And the priests, looks like they immediately answered and said, no. OK, another way around then, said Haggai, if one that is unclean, somebody who is unclean because they've touched a dead body, um. And they, they, and then they touch something further. Will that thing then become unclean? And the priests answered and said, it shall be. So that's quite a difference, isn't it? The holiness 
or the set, the set aside thing, the clean thing, doesn't make other things clean. But the, uh, the unclean things, the contaminated things, do make things unclean. Does that make sense? Do you, does that make sense as a, as a principle? Holiness doesn't transfer, but sin does. Then we have verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said, excuse me, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean. How can that be? They were doing the right things, weren't they? They were building the temple. They were offering sacrifices. Are they not good things? They are good things if they are done in the right way. The priests were, in that respect, a good example for us. Haggai had tested them in a sense. Do you understand the scriptures? You're the, 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 the priests. You should be teaching the people. Do you understand? And they did. They understood and they answered. How are we? Do we understand the scriptures? Do we uh, appreciate all the scriptures? I'm going to share um, a helpful quote from Michael Bentley in relation to those two questions and the principle behind it. I found this very helpful, so hopefully you will too. What did God think of the Jews' attitude to the rebuilding work? God was saying, in effect, it is no use. The builders of my house must have pure hearts. What God was saying through Haggai was this, you cannot catch holiness. It is God's gift to those who commit themselves completely to him and to his service. A cold can be caught, just as defilement can be caught from a dead body. But health is different. It cannot be caught any more than a sanctified garment can transfer its holiness to anyone who touches it. He then carries on and says this, Sin is extremely contagious. It only takes one small drop of poison to contaminate a whole glass of water. But even a large amount of wholesome water will not purify a bowl which contains an impurity. We need to recognise that our lives are tainted with sin, which, like physical illness, is too contagious, is all too contagious. Our good works will not atone for our sinfulness. Only repentance and faith in Christ will save us. The questions there were positioned so that then the application could be applied, which is in verse 14. So is this people, so is this nation. Their works of their hands are unclean. Why were they unclean? Do you now see why this was not acceptable? Because their hearts were not right with God. So what they were doing was tainted with sin. And that is not acceptable to God. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? To, for everything we do, for God to do it with our best efforts, our best intentions, for the right reasons and hearts that are right with God, not harbouring some awful sin. We are not perfect. We are far from it. But we must strive to be so. The message was given to the priests. Firstly, to encourage them to repent. Repent of your sins. 
repent of your sins, then offer, and then do the work of the Lord. But also the priests had this responsibility to teach and instruct the people. So firstly, they must be right themselves. And then when they are right, go, teach the people, tell the people, repent, repent, and then do the works of the Lord. A very helpful example in terms of doing the right things in the right way. Uh, very familiar for all of us is Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Note the order there. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So Abel was right before God. Then his offering was acceptable unto God. Just share another quote with you, if I may, from Matthew Henry. And he's talking about this principle from the Old Testament. And if you want to sort of reference back, you can find these points raised in Leviticus and in, and in Numbers also. And it's talking about the ceremonial law here. And Matthew Henry says, hereby it appears that a spiritual use is to be made of the ceremonial law and that it was intended not only as a divine ritual to the Jews, but for instruction in righteousness to all. So through this example of the clean meat not passing on its uh, holiness and the, the, the unclean people being uh, contaminating other things, we can learn an important spiritual lesson. The ceremonial law doesn't apply to us. But the principle there is very helpful. The ceremonial law was for the Jews a way to help them to worship God, to be obedient to God and to worship him. But also it pointed towards Christ. The ceremonial law, we must remember this, and this is very important for us, has been fulfilled in Christ and it is finished. The sacrifice has been paid once and for all. So as we look back on the ceremonial law, we can draw spiritual application for ourselves. But the greatest spiritual application is that Jesus Christ has finished this all. Hallelujah. What a saviour. So two questions were asked and the two questions come uh, sort of um, were opposites so they contrasted and gave a clear example of what point Haggai was making through um, and he delivered that message to challenge the people examine yourselves be right before God purify your hearts and then come and offer two prophets followed by two questions Our final point today is two considerations. So we've seen how this prophecy was given to the uh, priests in the form of two questions, which they answered. And then the challenge was put out and said, this is how the people are. Every work of their hands and the offerings that they give are unclean.
So we come to two considerations, two things to take away for these people, for them to think about following this important lesson. Verses 15 and 18 give us the two considerations. So 15. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to a press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and with all the, and all the labours of your hands, yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord. That is the first consideration. Just a little point there. It's generally accepted that when we read these words from this day and upward, that can mean both forward and backward. Consider what's been, consider what's to come. Think about those words. You went to the harvest or you, you, you tried to gather in for the harvest and you only got a fraction. I sent mildew, I sent hail, I sent blasting and you turned not to me. Consider your ways. Verse 18. Consider now from this day and upward, for from the, the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. A double consideration in this point. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. So, two considerations. It's a contrast and a repetition here. We have a repetition in that we've had in chapter one, consider. And in chapter two, we get consider again. In chapter one, we have consider your ways. In chapter two, we have these considerations of what God has done. So there's the contrast. The repetition is consider, consider. In chapter one, in chapter two, it's consider and consider. But in chapter one, it's consider your ways. In chapter two, it's consider God's ways. They had built their houses. They were comfortable. They were settled. They hadn't touched the temple. It lay in ruins. Consider your ways. You've put yourselves first. You've neglected God. Chapter 2. Consider the harvest. Consider the weather. Consider what you have gathered in. Could they control the harvest? No. Could they control the weather? No. Who controls the harvest? Who controls the weather? It is the Lord. It is God. Now, these were probably experienced farmers. They probably knew the land very well. They would know if they planted the seeds. They knew how to cultivate the soil to grow the crops because this is what they did. Yet their harvests had failed year after year. But what he's saying to them here is consider, firstly, um, verse 17, I smote you with blasting, with mildew, with hail, 
in all the labours of your hands, yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. The reason your harvests failed is because I sent hail to, to destroy the crops and I sent mildew to destroy the crops. Your harvest failed. You did not turn back to God. You did not accept or even think that this could be a judgment from God. Consider your ways is in chapter one. Consider God is in chapter two. Why has this happened? God has done this. And that's very topical for today. We we don't know these things, do we? Um, why are things happening? Is this God's judgment upon us? Is this God's judgment upon us personally? Is this God's judgment upon us as a nation? Well, we never definitely know the answer to that. Sometimes you think it would be helpful if we had the behind the scenes like Job. We read of Job and how the Lord spoke uh, with Satan and you can do this and you can do this, but no more. And we would understand a bit more, but we don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that God is in control and we do know that our best efforts are sinful. So we should both consider God as our great challenge. Consider God. And then consider ourselves, consider our ways. How do we stand before God? And it's always helpful, isn't it, to start with God. God is the God of the harvest. God is the God who keeps the world in motion, who spins the world, who feeds the world, who waters the world. God is the one who raises up powers and brings down powers. God is in control. God is the one who looks after the individual. God is the one who blesses you and I on a daily basis if we walk close to him. God is the one who should be our starting point. And then if we understand who God is, we can then understand how we fit into that and how sinful we are. But it also should encourage us to strive to be more like Christ. Consider your ways. Verse 18. Consider from this day forward, uh, from the, even from the 29th or the 24th day of the ninth month, is the seed yet in the barn? It's quite interesting because I've read a couple of um, commentaries around this and one said, no, there was no seed in the barn because the harvests had failed and this was them at their lowest ebb. And then another said, yes, well, the seed was in the barn, but the seed's no good because it hasn't grown fruit. And it's only when the harvest yields its fruit that it is of benefit. But it's a question again that's asked. They would know the answer. And he's asked them a question. Is the seed in the barn? Don't think about the seed. The seed is irrelevant in the barn. The seed is no good to anybody in the barn. It is only when it is in the ground and then it brings forth fruit. Don't trust in your harvest. Trust in God. The God of the harvest. So, how then does this section end? It ends with these words. From this day, will I bless you. Consider your ways. Consider what you've done. Consider, consider, consider how great I am. 
And then all of a sudden, they, I will bless you. From this day, I will bless you. So that suggests, doesn't it, a turning to God. Now you turn to God, turn to God today, and he will bless you from today. What a great encouragement that is. A great encouragement for us to turn to God. This isn't a blanket promise, but this is a conditional promise. You turn to God, and God will bless you. During this uh, message today, I, in the course of this, in terms of what I've got in my notes here, have asked five questions. And in response to that, I have answered those five questions. But I leave a question with you today for each one of us to answer. This is not for me to answer for you. This is for you to answer for yourself and for me to answer for myself. How do you stand before God today? If you stand there and say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ alone is my saviour and I've confessed my sins. How is your heart today before God? Is what you are doing today done with the right attitude, with the right attitude of heart? We read, didn't we, some very helpful verses from Psalms. And I'll just, rather than get myself tongue-tied there a little bit, I'll, I'll find the verse. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Clean hands and a pure heart. This is how we should be before God. That's a helpful example. Clean hands and a pure heart. We should be right in our attitudes before God. Firstly, we should be trusting in Jesus Christ alone as our saviour. And then secondly, we should be doing the right things with the right attitude of heart before God. How do we stand before God today? If you do not believe in Jesus Christ alone as your saviour, you stand in a very dangerous place. Your soul might be required of you this night. How would that be? How would that end for you? You would not know the blessings of God anymore. You would know his punishment and his judgment. How do you stand today? Stand before God, ask for forgiveness for all of our sins, but ask for forgiveness unto salvation if that is what is needed. Pray to God that he will take away your sins because he has promised from this day forward he will bless us. He will bless us with salvation if we confess our sins. He will bless us with fellowship and growth in grace and sanctification if we are already his and we trust in him. Let's close with that question. How do you stand today before God? Consider God and consider your ways. Amen.